Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I woke up last night at about 4 a.m. I couldn't sleep. I heard a rumbling in the sky, and I know what that low rumbling in the sky means. I know that the gigantic bombers are on the move. They're coming out of the Air Force Base near Sacramento. I didn't have to read about it in the paper today. I just know they're moving them. I don't know where they're moving them. I don't know how many were being moved, but I heard the low rumble in the sky at 4 a.m. And I said, thank God something's going on behind the scenes because this is getting out of control. You've got a psychopath threatening New York and Washington, D.C. You've got an invisible president. You've got a quavering Secretary of Defense. You've got a Secretary of State that went over to the Palestinian side, meaning the PLO side. It's astonishing to me what a group of hollow men we have running this country. And then I couldn't sleep. I couldn't get back to sleep after I heard that low rumble because things are very terrifying right now if you really listen carefully. You don't have to put your ear to the ground to know what's going on in this world. All you got to do is take your blinders off and stop watching baseball and get your eyes off YouTube and get your eyes off pornography and get your eyes off, you know, the latest lingerie on YouTube. Stop listening to Moloch's madnesses and start looking at what's going on in your world. And I sat down and I wrote this. Take it for what it is. I wrote this down. I said, I met with my kitchen cabinet last night while cooking a light dinner as I drank the Bordeaux, I consulted with my chief advisor, Teddy, a 10-pound gray poodle. In my kitchen cabinet with us were Plato, Moses, Jesus, John Locke, George Washington, Lincoln Patton, and God. Here's what my kitchen cabinet recommended for rescuing America. I wrote out a four-page plan. You think I'm just a funny guy, huh? Let's start with my plan for rescuing America. Page one, domestic eight. Cut federal income taxes by 2% per year over four years for a minimum total of 8% over four years. B, reduce federal government departments in size by 4% each year for a total reduction of size by 16% over four years. C, eliminate all public assistance for able-bodied recipients. Cut off all public assistance for immigrants for five years. Repatriate those who are not working after two years. D, Immediately impose tariffs on cars and trucks owned by foreign entities, even if they're manufactured in America. E. Cause illegal aliens to build a wall between the United States and Mexico, and then repatriate them. Pay them a one-time worker fee. F. Increase pay for active duty combat troops by 10%. Number two. Fire any unmarried military person becoming pregnant while on active duty. Shall I continue? I will, whether you want me to or not. Here's the rest of my domestic policy for saving or rescuing America. G, make abortions illegal except when the physical survival of the mother is threatened to be determined by three medical doctors. Number two in that category, require a NORPLAN for all women on welfare of childbearing age. H, close all houses of sex and massage. I, expand the DEA while decriminalizing most drugs. J, Regarding the media, one, eliminate all foreign ownership of any American media entity. Two, break up overly large conglomerates like News Corporation. K, 
encourage childbearing among tax-paying citizens, create a marriage incentive through lower taxes for married heterosexual couples, and a government subsidy for each child conceived and carried to birth. Increase the subsidies for each year the couple remains married. L. Repatriate all illegal immigrants now incarcerated. Encourage all other illegals to self-repatriate through double taxation on wages and fines on employers. This is Michael Savage. I'll go on uh, with my international program for rescuing America. I'm sure that most of you would turn the program off. You'd rather listen to the hollow men in the media. Go ahead and listen. I don't care anymore. We've got a hollow, empty suit running the country. We've got a hollow, empty skirt wanting to run the country. And the only people who can save this country have been silenced by the media bosses. So I'll go on with my international plan for rescuing this great nation. International A, Iraq. It'll be Iraq, Iran, North Korea, Israel, China, the United Nations. Here it comes, A, Iraq. One, cordon off the Sunni Triangle. Give the people 72 hours to leave. Reduce the entire sector to rubble with an aerial campaign. Send in Iraqi troops to mop up pockets of resistance. Emphasis, Iraqi troops to mop up pockets of resistance. Two, divide Iraq into three to four sectors. Sunni, Shiite, Kurd, and international. Next, remove all U.S. troops after above achieved. B, Iran. One, sanctions, embargoes, and mine their harbors. Nothing goes in, nothing comes out. C, North Korea. Destroy their launching platforms. Impose a naval blockade on all goods coming in or out except food. D, Israel, Arab entities. Give Israel four years to become self-sufficient. Cut off all foreign aid to all nations. E, China. 20% tariffs on all China-made goods immediately. Rising by 5% each year for each year China refuses to revalue the currency. F, United Nations. Withdraw immediately. Remove all diplomats and staff. Convert the United Nations building into housing for the working poor. G. Mexico. Force Mexico to pay one barrel of oil for every illegal alien in the United States of America per month. I'm Michael Savage. I approve of this message. Savage. Now, you thought you had an election. And in a way, you did, but you really didn't see the election. What you saw were the shadows on the wall. But you have to have read Plato to understand what I mean by the shadows on the wall. You didn't actually see what, what went on. You just saw the shadows on the wall. You didn't actually see the actors. In the days of ancient Rome, emperors such as Septimus Severus would give unlimited free wheat to the poor. He would stage costly circus games in order to pacify the populace with food and entertainment. They realized then that bread and circuses were a good way of avoiding popular unrest. Today, not much has changed, except that we have more bread and better circuses. Across the United States, patriotism is dead. American industry is being gutted by globalists. But there is no outcry. American culture is destroyed by socialists, but its citizens are asleep. America's sovereignty is challenged by China, Iran, North Korea, and Mexico. But don't ask the average American to respond. They're watching Paris Hilton on TV. They're stuffing their fat faces with junk food, processed bread, Electronic pornography. America is fat, sated, and silent. It is asleep. As long as Americans have their cheap food, America will slumber. As long as the flow of pornography continues over the cable systems, through the satellite receivers and internet connections, America will continue its long sleep. When Thanksgiving comes around this year, Americans will bow their heads not to God, 
but to tryptophan in football. Because whether it's Septimus Severus or George Bush or Nancy Pelosi, it doesn't really matter much. They all know that bread and circuses are the key to keeping you silent as America slowly slips into oblivion, becoming not a nation, but a trading partner. Michael Savage, now more than ever. So here I am. Everything's hurting. Reminds me of like the Moses story, you know. All right, I've chosen you to cross the Red. I don't want to go, man. I don't want to do this. Why are you picking on me? I, my ear hurts. I'm a, hun- a little hunch. I'm too old to lead the people across the Red Sea. No, I've chosen you. You must go. But I'm not the right guy, man. Get Charlton Heston. Get some big strapping guy with square shoulders. Leave me. A- no, I've chosen you because you have an affliction. What's wrong with you, man? Why would you choose someone with an affliction? Because I can trust you. I can't trust the guy who was a captain of his football team in high school because he had a lot of women. He's too confident. He doesn't listen to orders. A guy like you, all your life you've been insecure. All your life you've learned how to listen to people because you understand God will punish you otherwise. He'll give you a a deeper affliction. That's why you chose Moses. That's why I chose Moses, and that's why I've chosen you. you got to lead your people to shrimp in Boca Raton. Michael Savage, a host like no other. Have you become a victim of the timeshare trap? You think there's no way out? Well, Chuck McDowell, founder of Wesley Financial Group, has helped over 35,000 families out of financial hardship by getting them out of bad timeshares, and they may be able to help you too. Listen, if your timeshare agreement goes on forever, if you were told timeshares are a great investment or your maintenance fees will never go up, Yeah, you need to get the facts about timeshare cancellation. For over 10 years, Wesley Financial Group has been dedicated to helping folks get out of a lifetime of debt by canceling their timeshares. So they created a free timeshare exit information kit that reveals how the timeshare industry works and your options for cancellation. To get your free timeshare exit information kit, simply go to iCancelTimeshare.com. That's iCancelTimeshare.com. I'll say it one more time. I cancel timeshare.com. Thank you very much. I cancel timeshare.com. I've lived through some historic times in my life. You won't believe this. And here they are. Look what I have seen in my lifetime. I want to show you how long I've been around this planet so you're going to get a feeling of what I've seen in my lifetime. One, Superman defeated by every man in World War II. Two, the first atomic bomb used in warfare, the establishment of the state of Israel, the popularization of television. This is all in my lifetime. The popularization of air conditioning, the popularization of air travel, the popularization of the personal computer, the invention of the Internet, the assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Robert Robert F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. I've seen the first man walk on the moon. I've seen the mainstreaming of homosexuality. I've seen the complete integration of blacks and whites. I've seen the development of mass welfare for unproductive citizens. I've seen the destruction of America's judicial system by corrupt lawyers. I've seen the meltdown of America's borders. I've seen the self-genocide of America's European-American majority through a mass abortion and mass tolerance of diverse sexualities. I've seen the acceptance of narcotics. I've seen the debasement of religion. I've seen the takeover of corporations by gamblers and con men. I've seen the elimination of grades in many schools. I've seen the introduction of racial quota systems. I've seen the impeachment of a president. What will I see uh, in the future? Well, that's for you to decide, not me. 
No double talk, just one man's opinion. So I'm getting into one of those moods, and I decide to have a couple of drinks by myself, which I did, and I, I had a couple of drinks, and then, you know, the mood went away. But the thing I'm telling you is that life sucks, and once you accept that life sucks, it becomes easier to deal with. And that's why there's so much weakness in America, is because we're deluded into thinking that we're supposed to be happy, and everyone else is happy, and you're the only one who's feeling lonely, or you're feeling life's burdens and no one else, and you, you look at the ads every minute, there's a ha-ha and a ho-ho and a hee-hee and it, and the media continuously drives this concept that everyone else is having a great time except you. You're the only one having a miserable time. But in fact, this is this is what life is. And a lot of it is the fact that you were raised, if you're a, a person under 45, you were probably raised in a Spockian you know, nightmare where you were told that, Life is pleasant, life is easy, life is good. And maybe it is for you. You know, maybe you're a lucky person. You'd be the exception. You're not the norm. For most people, life is a grind. Life is a bore and life is difficult and life sucks. And there is no happiness. Happiness is is fleeting. Happiness is transient. Happiness exists here and there. You have moments of happiness, whatever they may be for you. I don't know what they are. The birth of a child the wedding of your daughter. Uh, I don't know what the hell. Walking your, your child, seeing the kid in the graduation hat. Whatever it is, I don't know, getting a promotion, seeing a book published. There are small moments, but basically it's a flat line of difficulty for the average person. Then you get sick and you suffer and then you die a horrible death, usually alone in a home or in a hospital. And once you accept that that's the terms, that's the, that's the deal, that's it. <laughs> It's not, it isn't that bad when you realize what people have suffered through, through, through the ages. So what you have to do is toughen yourself up and you have to learn that life is not the delusion that if only there was another elected official out there who gave you free medical care, we gave you prescription drugs, you'd be happy if you had prescription drugs, if only you had more prescription drugs, more crutches from the government, then you'd be happy. And you got to pray a lot. I mean, you got to go back to the holy books that your fathers or grandfathers, you're only probably, no matter who you are, let's say your hair is green and you got 18 nose rings and nipple rings and this ring and that ring, and you're, you're running around in L.A., twinkling around, thinking you're free, you're free, you're free. I don't hear freedom. I hear slavery. The more I hear those, those rings rattle, the more I know you're a slave. You're probably only two generations at most away from a very religious person in your family. Max two generations, the most. Someone who actually believed in the word of God and went to church or synagogue. Borders, language, culture. It was raining a lot this weekend, so Teddy hung out with me. You can't leave. The, he watches you like a hawk. You get up, the eye goes, they move. They watch everything you do. And you, they're so tied to you, it's frightening. And then I feel like I'm I'm like cheating on it. If I slip out to do a bike ride, I, I got to, I was like, I feel bad. Like, I'm, I got to do it, man. I'm sorry. I got a bicycle. I won't be healthy. And it's like, he gives me the eye like, oh, you cheat him and can't wait till you come back. Then he jumps like crazy. It's heartbreakingly wonderful, beautiful. But something happens like a, it's a dog psychology thing. He has a blanket, a baby blanket thing that he drags with him. I don't know what this is. He bites it and rubs against it. All of a sudden, I don't know how to do this on a family show in a nice way now. He's gone beyond just sort of uh, hanging out on that blanket and like biting it a little bit. You know, like He's actually treating it like it's a mate. I turn around in the car in the middle of a rainstorm. It's like it's like Alfred Hitchcock's psycho. He's given the blanket the business. I mean, with the whole body movement, it's really it's like it's like internet, you know, dog wacko style. It's really weird. So what am I going to say to him? Don't do it. He's not a person. 
I figured, who's he harming? I go ahead, have a good time there. And the whole thing was nuts. I didn't know whether to say anything. If I said something, then I would have been crazy to be involved with the dog, what he's doing to a blanket. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? The conflict I was in for that moment. This little cute 10-pound dog is all of a sudden whacked out perv on a blanket with the whole body movement. You know how they look on a lawn when they're doing like number two? All of a sudden, that posture in the car, in the seat against the blanket. I didn't know what to say to him. If I said, don't do it, I figured uh, I'd make it worse. So I chose to look the other way. I don't know. Maybe I'll grow it. Who knows? He's three years old already. Three times seven is 20. They don't live seven to one anymore, do they? It used to be seven years to one dog year because they fed him kennel rage and they died at nine. Nine, if tops nine. Tippy went to seven. They found like stiff on the rug. Utopia Parkway with the garbage men with the brown suits. Grim, why were the garbage men so different then? They were all involved, like in the, they always did something illegal down down there by Canarsie with the pits, with the bodies, I think. I don't know, they took the, I don't understand that part of it. The garbage men were so rugged looking. They were so unbelievable, like from another world. You didn't look at a garbage man the wrong way in those days, or you would have wound up in like, mm, you know what I mean? The thing went around. You didn't look at, you didn't play around like you're lower than me. You say, oh, I got a white collar. I'm better than you. Your Buick would have wound up in the back of the, of the truck. Uh, how you doing? And they came around with those plows in the winter. And they, if you said one wrong word to them in the spring, come the winter, I can guarantee you your car was buried from the plow. That's all I can tell you. Whereas if you gave them a $20 bill for Christmas, the year before, when the snow came, I guarantee you they went around you with the plow. In fact, well, that was a different time today. It was personal then. The garbage men you could get personal with. Today, I don't know. You don't know who to say to what. I don't know what language to speak to, to half the people that I'm supposed to give a tip. Even the newspaper guy leaves a thing with the, like, in Spanish, Noel, give me a tip for the newspaper. He should give me a tip for reading that thing. So where was I going with it? I forgot already. The dog. Oh, because 7 to 10, 7 to 1. Tippy died at eight, seven and fifty-six. Oh, and the father, same thing. Heart attack in the fifties. So it was seven to one. Today's like twenty to one. They outlive you. They used to say uh, a dog lives to twenty-five now, like almost like a monkey. They're almost like a monkey in age. Twenty-eight, you hear crazy things. Twenty-six, they keep them alive with like special things for their real legs and kidney transplants. They have monuments and guys who make monuments that for. A, you don't know what. The world's crazy. The world's a crazy world. It's about, what, 12 to 1 now? 10 to 1? Or less. It goes the other way. If they live to 20. No, it's 5 to 1. What are we talking about? It goes the other way. 5 years to 1 in a dog life. So that means, oh, he's a teenager. That's what I'm getting at. Little dogs live longer. Okay, so let's uh, argument's sake, he lives to 20. So 20 is like, what, 80? So 20 is 4 to 1 already. So if he's 3, he's 12. That's what boys do at 12. So, okay, he's normal. Savage has a stethoscope on America. I wandered the streets of San Francisco feeling the cool air on my face, wondering when global warming would descend upon the city. I, I was glad it hadn't because I really still enjoy the winters here. I had watched the Queen Mary sail. It was unbelievable. This was a behemoth. I, was, I thought only of, uh, of uh, uh, the Titanic. I mean, this is like the new Titanic, this ship. Unfortunately for me, I can no longer uh, uh, pine for ships because I've spent so many years going doing so when i was a kid in new york and penniless i used to drive on the west side highway and look at the great ships of the time lining up on the piers on the hudson river and dream that when i was a young man when i would be a young man i'd get the money and i would take ship trips and i did i did a lot of them i was always in love with the sea and uh, then i was married then i had children then i went up with them and everybody took everybody to the south seas i did a lot of adventurous things when i was young 
and I got a lot of the ocean liner thing out of my system, but I got to tell you, ocean liners of that day and cruise ships of today are two different birds. They're much different. When I would go in the 60s, for example, on the P&O liner, the Oriana, I mean, I'm going to tell you, that was, that was not a cruise line. It was used for transport. In those days, the P&O lines, uh, actually, tickets were given for free as part of the uh, compensation package to British to British civil servants. So, for example, if they were serving in Australia or New Zealand, I think they got a once-annual free passage back to the home country of uh, England on the P&O liner. So the ships were used for passage, not so much as a cruise line, and it was a very big difference. The British were also very big on class differential, as they still are, much to their detriment, I think. And so you had a true first class, a true tourist class, and a true, I guess, passage class, or whatever it was, and at that time, I was a young graduate student or a young anthropologist or a lecturer. And I'll never forget making friends with a, some royal of some kind, a lower-level royal. He was a British Air Force officer. They always liked me. I always liked them. And he invited me up to first class. It was as though I stepped into another world. We sat in the drawing room, and we drank, and we talked, and whatever. And it was great fun. He, he, made, no, he made a mockery of the class differential. I guess he liked the fact that I was kind of a bohemian to him and an anthropologist that was real and bored out of his gourd up there in first class listening to the uh, the chatter. But today it's a different world. So anyway, to make a long story short, I watched the Queen Mary leave last night. But And I, and by the way, I was looking at it with my, uh, my very powerful marine binoculars. These are the best. There's some German uh, glasses that I was using. And I could see the people on the deck, you know, and saying goodbye. I didn't really wish I was there drinking and looking forward to X number of days eating and drinking and drinking and eating and eating and drinking and drinking and eating and eating and drinking and drinking and eating. I guess I can't do it. Now, if you, on the other hand, have never done it, you should do it because the the ships are amazing. That's if you really, you know, go out of the cabin and go out on the deck at night. I mean, you're in for some quite quite an experience if you look at the sea. I remember, and I, I don't want to go into the, the, the long story, I remember the longest ship trip between ports that I ever took was the Royal Viking Sea. It departed Long Beach, and it took 10 days to reach the Marquesas Islands. Uh, no, I think the first port of call was Tahiti, excuse me. It was the longest, uh, it was 10 straight days without land. And I remember that before we reached Tahiti, I stayed up all night drinking red wine by myself, and I wrote a poem. God, I wish I could find it. I don't know what I did with it. I have all of my stuff in a warehouse somewhere all of those days. I was a different person in those days. But, you know, you're never really a different person. It was just another phase of my life. But here's, here's the point of it. And forgive me if I'm wandering a little bit. I'm just a little fed up with politics for the moment. I stayed up all night. I put on the best clothing I had. The family went to sleep. I got the best uh, and most expensive bottle of red wine I could buy at the time on the ship. And I stayed up all night drinking by myself because as we were approaching land after 10 days at sea, I could smell the land as we approached it. I have a very keen sense of, of smell. I'm very lucky uh, in some cases unless I uh, enter the U.S. House of Representatives during July. And I could smell the sweet water on the landmass as it started to appear from, from the distance. And I remember writing about the smell of sweet water after 10 days at sea. I wish I could find it. God, and now I'm getting nostalgic. 
for that particular trip. I wish I could be back on it, but you can't turn the clock back, can you? My only hope is that there really is time travel. My only hope is that uh, the the distance to the stars is real. My only hope is that uh, one day we will actually understand that there is eternity. And one day from eternity, we can look back and step back into our lives at any point and maybe, just maybe, change things just slightly and change, therefore, the course of our life. Savage.